Content warning for racism. Action! Excitement! Horror! Romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Little Baron, so-called from his diminutive stature, was born sometime in the latter part of the 17th century. He was the last of his race in the direct line, although cousins of his are today well-known Pomeranian gentry. He began his travels at an incredibly early age, and filled his cask with such strange objects picked up here and there in the far away corners of the world that the simple-minded peasantry came to look upon him as half bigwig and half magician. Hence the growth of many myths and fanciful stories concerning this indefatigable globetrotter. The date of his death cannot be fixed with any certainty, but this much may be said. Among the portraits of Pomeranian notables hanging in the routhouse in Stettin, there is one picturing a man of low stature and with a head much too large for his body. He is dressed in some outlandish costume and holds in his left hand a grotesque image of ivory, most elaborately carved. His broad face is full of intelligence, and the large gray eyes are lighted up with good-natured but quizzical look that invariably attracts attention. The man's right hand rests upon the back of a dog sitting on a table and looking straight out with an air of dignity that shows that he knew he was sitting for his portrait. If a visitor asks the guide, who is this man, he always gets this for an answer. Oh, that's the little baron. But little baron who? That's the question. Why may it not be the famous Willem Heinrich Sebastian von Trump? commonly called Little Baron Trump and his wonderful dog, Bulger. Hi, welcome to What Mad Universe, the podcast where we discuss pulp novels, both the famous and obscure, and boy, do we have a weird one for you today. I'm Philip Rice, and with me as always is Adam Prosser. Hello. Uh, um, so we're talking about, what's the, the name of the first book? Uh, the Travels and Adventures of Little Baron Trump and His Faithful Dog, Bulger. And it was written in, um, well, I'll get to that. Uh, it was written by Ingersoll Lockwood. He was an American lawyer, writer, and briefly served as the appointed consul to the Kingdom of Hanover under President Abraham Lincoln. He was born in 1918. He's best known today for writing these books, the two uh, Little Baron Trump novels, the first one in 1889 and the second one in 1893. I, sorry, he was born, when was he born? Oh, 1818, sorry. Okay, fair that enough. That was a typo. My, <laughs> yeah, my, I was a little confused there. Okay. My fault. We'll just keep that. Um, uh, 1889 and 1893. The series fell into obscurity, but has gained some degree of notoriety in the past few years for um, some reason. These are children's books uh, titled, uh, 
as I said, The Travels and Adventures of Little Baron Trump and His Wonderful Dog Bulger, and the second one is Baron Trump's Marvelous Underground Journey. They're about a diminutive and precocious rich boy who travels around the world having adventures. His real name, as stated earlier, is Wilhelm Heinrich Sebastian von Trump, uh, Baron being his title and Trump being a family nickname. The stories are whimsical and silly with an obvious inspiration drawn from the Baron Munchausen character created by Rudolf Eric Rasp. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, these are, these are strange. These are weird. Um, it starts off uh, in um, the first book describing his uh, ancestor, uh, who was uh, called the Armless Knight. Uh, yeah. And he fought in the Crusades. He had no arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he made up for it with really powerful legs. Right. So he was able to kill enough... Uh, well, no, and then they built uh, yeah. a, a device to put on his legs so yeah, he could fight, that had swords, sword yeah. with his legs. Um, so uh, he killed so many uh, um, people in the Crusades that Saladin just was won over by, with respect for him. Saladin was the leader of the Muslims uh, during that part. And um, so Saladin has him marry a um, an Arab girl named... Uh, Kohilat, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's uh, Baron, the current Baron Trump's uh, ancestor. Uh, Baron Trump himself was born in Africa, in the land of the Melodious Sneezers, uh, ruled over by King Chuchulo. Uh, the Melodious Sneezers are so-called because they sneeze all the time due to a tiny insect that infests their land that crawls up their noses and causes irritation. But they've made the sneezing into a language and song and uh, they're peaceful people, uh, but uh, the uh, the elder Baron, Baron Trump's father, and his mother traveled through there and uh, stayed there while Baron Trump was born. And uh, that's also where he picked up his dog, Bulger, right. so-called for his big forehead. And then he fell into some mud, which made him smart. Yeah, he fell into some mud, which uh, somehow caused his body to stop growing that much, but his head became twice its size. So it's it's all based on a true story, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's yes, it's a very uh, fantastical and strange and whimsical story about a um, yeah a, a, an unlikely character having a series of adventures all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, it's probably coming from Baron Munchausen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I have this weird conviction that it's somewhat inspired by Little Lord Fauntleroy, even though the Little Lord Fauntleroy stories are not fantastical, don't have any sci-fi elements or anything in them. Uh, but just the fact that it's Little Lord, <laughs> you know, little, yeah. little, it makes me think that they're... And that was around the same time. Like, that was just a few years mm-hmm. earlier from the Little Baron Trump novels. Yeah, it's, <clears> also, <throat> it's often uh, described as being inspired by... Uh, 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 Alice in Wonderland, which I, I don't see at all, but... Yeah, I uh, yeah that was that was the the link they made, but I, I guess the argument is just that Alice in Wonderland got kids into you know goofy fantasies. Mm. I mean, the obvious inspiration to me, if you go back a bit, is a Gulliver's Travels. Yeah, it's though it doesn't have the same satirical edge. No, these aren't uh, these people he visits aren't usually supposed to represent any aspects of humanity. They're just sort of weirdness that he encounters. Right. It's not. It, I mean. When people read, uh, you know, uh, Gulliver's Travels, they probably didn't always, you know, the the 
you did you wouldn't always necessarily absorb the satire. You'd just say, "Oh, it's about this guy who had all these weird adventures in these weird kingdoms." Yeah, and that, that quite often the... gets misinterpreted as a children's book when right. it's not. Right. So that's the su- yeah, that's the superficial aspect that yeah. would have been uh, copied for uh, for all these. And I mean, we as we uh, we we spoke a few uh, episodes back about um, uh, Saturn and Ferranduil. Yeah, and he's in the same mode. It's it's yeah. a travelogue. He goes to he's a he's an outrageous character, a genius in this case who had a strange uh, upbringing in a remote area uh, and uh, which informs his worldview. And then he travels around the world being a genius and doing all kinds of great, wonderful things among strange and savage uh, tribes. Well, not always savage, but, you know, people who are... Who, who who can be portrayed differently, essentially. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, really weird in some cases. Uh, the first country he goes to is the land of the... Win- or the first country Baron, the Little Baron travels to is the land of the Wind Eaters, which you said was missing from your farm. Yeah, my version is a very slapdash, sort of cheaply published version. But, yeah, go on. What, what uh, yeah, they're... Um, uh, he first encounters them and mm. is afraid because they're, they're, they look like bones with skin on top. They're very skinny. Um, and they have no, but they have no teeth and mm-hmm. yeah, it seems that their island, uh, uh, ran out of food. So they started eating wind <laughs> instead. So, uh, when they eat, they blow up like balloons. Right. And, uh, they fear pointy things because they can pop. Naturally. And, uh, Baron Trump ends up accidentally killing some of them. Okay. Uh, by popping them like children. Oh. Ends up killing some children and angering them. So that happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a weird book. It's very weird, but I mean, they it's yeah. As you say, it's it's in the the veil of just the vein of just silly. Yeah, it's it's absurdist. Absurdist, yeah, yeah. absurdism. Um, I know. When do what? Do you know anything about Doctor Doolittle? Do you know when he was written? That was a bit later. A bit, yeah, but not much. But it's in the same vein. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's that same it's sort similar of similar to Doctor Doolittle, I'd say. And it, it is interesting that you've always got the character who's uh kind of a genius. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, fa- uh both. Saturn and for Anduil, he's not, he's not explicit. Like, there's no specific reason that he's a genius, but he just is. Yeah, uh, he was raised he's by the main character because he's the main character. Yeah, and I mean, as always, when you see these characters, they're kind of a metaphor for imperialism. Basically, it's about you know, well, if a European went to these countries, they'd have. But in this case, they've made it ludicrous yeah. and, and silly, and it's kind of mocking because there were probably more serious versions of that yeah. as well, like Tarzan being the the even though that came later, uh, he's kind of the go to. Yeah, in in that regard. Um, but you've got, um, yeah, so he goes to the land of the wind eaters, um, and accidentally pops them. Then he goes to the, uh, um, the land of... Oh, it's the Sculptor's Isle? The Sculptor's Isle, yes. Yeah, that, that was, um, uh, a society formed by, uh, ancient Roman sculptors who were exiled for poisoning a woman. Right. Who, the, and she was so beautiful, they all, they didn't want anyone to sculpt her again, so yeah. they poisoned her, basically. Yeah, yeah. But everybody on the island has uh, slowed down to the point where they're basically statues that move imperceptibly. Yeah, which is <laughs> weird. I don't remember if they ever explained why that Not happened. Really. Uh, that they, they just, uh, it, it seemed to be melancholy, sort of just, yeah. Yeah. Sadness about what they've done and that sort of thing, regret. That happens in a couple of the, the stories where it's just they devolve, the people of this faraway country devolve in some way yeah that, well same with the wind eaters you know right. they, they the didn't wind- have oh yeah uh, something i forgot to mention about the wind eaters 
uh they uh they get drunk off of certain types of winds so like the, i believe it was the north wind was uh was for reprobates to <laughs> uh, the north wind got you drunk yeah something like that yeah. yeah so only reprobates did it yeah <laughs> went to the that side of the island and ate the wind fair enough <laughs> um but yeah the um so i mean there there is amusing stuff in here it's it's and then the well, it's not good yeah, it's it's. Uh, I don't know. There's a well. As There's you say, a certain charm to it. Yeah, it's 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 so silly that it becomes char- like it's imaginative. I would yeah, say. it's also very overwritten. It's purple prose right. all the way through. And um, yeah, you might think that it might be a parody, but I read one of the author's other works, which we'll get to later, and it's it's the same thing. Yeah, it's 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 very strange <laughs> that yeah, it does feel like it's sarcastic and. Bear in mind, we've read other books from the same period, and they're not that over... No. When, when you say overwritten, what you mean is they're written as, like, wilt thou goest to... Oh, yeah, all this. the dialogue is that way, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's Elizabethan dialogue, yeah. basically. Even though he's supposed to be, like, an eight-year-old kid. Yeah, uh, he's a very smart kid. Yeah. He, uh, he got... Yeah, an early story... An early sort of mini-story involves uh, his... Uh, uh, he got... he What was it? Twelve tutors? Or, right. Yeah, and uh, yeah. The, instead of teaching him, he ended up teaching them, so they had to pay him money. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and they that's how he got rich. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Because he's, <laughs> they ended up learning from him instead of learning from him. And, yeah. And say, well, now you. And he presented <laughs> them with a bill. So he's a, the parents, kind of a jerk, really. Oh yeah, he's very much a jerk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he's, um, and he's, t- and for some reason, he dresses in Oriental costume. Yeah, very cultural appropriation. But the, I yeah. think the idea is. Uh, it, it takes this idea that the East is sort of um, a uh, whimsical, magical uh, um, land. Like, uh, it doesn't seem to treat it as a real place. Because uh, he talks about it. I was, uh, his ancestor was uh, was a Muslim woman, of course. As right. we mentioned in the Armless Night story. And that Although he's, she converted. Yeah, she converted to Christianity, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but... Uh, he says that because she was, uh, he has Arabic blood in him. That means that that gives him his sense of whimsy and and wonder. Yeah, and I mean, all the places he goes to are like, oh yes, as we were discussing in the last show, it's this idea of well, there's another land off in the beyond the jungle that no one can get to. Cut yeah, off yeah. From everyone. I mean, these are all supposedly set like uh, the Wind Eaters place, I believe, was in South America, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, then there's yeah. the the, the man hoppers. Oh yeah, they're called. Uh, that's the next one. The Umi Lobas or mm. man hoppers. Right. Um, they're in uh, India. Uh, India, uh, and uh, yeah, it in the Himalayas, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. Well, it, the idea is the Aryan Valley. Right. Supposedly, where Aryans come from. This is right. Victorian era science. Right. So. Well, they're not. They're, that's actually not wrong. The Aryan people of India are a legitimate, and and the Indo-Aryan language family. When okay. at one point he actually says, "Oh, you know, I could speak because uh, I knew that all of our languages emerged from there." Yeah. And that actually is correct. Uh, we know that there are common ancestors between uh, the European and the uh, the Indo. Uh, languages and it's uh, that's what led the the what the, the goofy pseudoscience part is when they they uh, came up with the idea that okay there must have been some one super powerful race that mm. spanned the continent at one point and that was their language their root language that we're all descended from and they were white and that was the quote yeah. Aryans but a Vedic Aryan is a legitimate uh, okay. dis- ethno dis- ethno national description for people from India uh, the people who uh, like the original inhabitants of Indians are basically the Sri Lankans they got driven driven south. 
and the uh, the Aryans are the northern uh, Indian people, basically. Don't say we didn't teach you stuff. Yeah, there you uh, go. <laughs> yeah. But the uh, the Omilobas are uh, because of I believe I think it was all the rivers they had to hop mm-hmm. over them, so they developed their legs. Right. Um, I guess like the armless knight. But, and their arms shrunk mm-hmm. and became pretty much useless. Right. And their heads shrunk as well for some reason. They be- <laughs> they got little doll heads. Everything happens for no reason yeah. in this book. With it, when but it's... they have really long legs and they can't bend them, so they just hop everywhere. Yeah. Or they can't bend them separately, so they don't walk. Yeah. His original description makes them sound like kangaroos to me, basically. The he drawings said, sort of look like that. They like look little like little T-Rex arms. He and, says yeah. they're like rabbits if rabbits went on their two legs. I was yeah. like, okay, kangaroos then, okay. basically. Yeah. <laughs> the, but, the illustrations sort of look like kangaroos. Yeah, yeah. Did you did you have illustrations in your version? Yeah, I had okay. illustrations, yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, th- there is a bit in that section where he, he comes across a, a wise old master. Right. And it's a bit stereotypical, but at the same time, he does... This is the only time he sort of defers to somebody. Right. Because yeah. usually he's the smartest guy in the room, but this time he learns wisdom from somebody. And even the illustration of that guy is more serious and not cartoony. Yeah. Uh, he's portrayed as sort of this... Yeah, he's an, he's a real fount of knowledge and wisdom. Yeah, he's that, blind. And, yeah. uh Well, I guess that's that's its own trope, but mm-hmm. yeah, he, he is able to guide him through the forest because... Uh, the dark forest because he's blind right. and all that. You know what's you know what that whole sequence reminded me of where he he finds he helps Trump uh, Baron von Trump go through the uh, the dark forest with the the river of drowsiness mm-hmm. I believe it's called uh, the uh, the river of slumber. That's that really made me think of the Mirkwood passage in the Hobbit. Yeah. Uh, it's it's almost exactly the same. I, I strongly doubt Tolkien read this, but it's, it's... hard to believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And yet, it's basically almost the same passage, and it's this: we risk getting lost. Yeah, you know the forest, and like the forest is itself is malevolent. but yeah. he knows his way through because he's yeah. Made Tolkien did them. it better though. Yeah, no, yeah, the, <laughs> the Hobbit's better than this book. Yes, let's not let's not kid ourselves. This is interesting though. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's it's historically interesting. And, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then the second book, which I did. Oh, read... sorry, we we haven't quite oh, sorry, finished. Yeah. The last part is the island of the round bodies, which are just big round people who well, go around. Uh, there's the the uh, the oh two, sorry t- so he two. goes to China right yeah uh, I keep forgetting that because that's a real country <laughs> yeah he just goes to China and has a weird but adventure. he goes to a fictional province of China yeah fair <laughs> enough but it's still China yeah yeah but uh, he travels uh, across the boiling sea which is a uh, obviously mm. fictional a right. part of the ocean that just hot called Neptune's, Neptune's cauldron. cauldron yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> encounters sea monsters and things mm-hmm. um, and then uh, he arrives in China and uh, they think uh, his dog Bulger who's oh, He's always talking about how smart he is and stuff. Right. So they think that the dog is a malevolent spirit. Right. And they put him on trial. And there's this whole big bureaucracy thing. Right. It's a. He's talked repeatedly about like Bulger literally saves his life a few times. Yeah. Like at one point he found he catches that there was poison uh, in the lands of the uh, the manhoppers. Yeah. There, there was. He also poison. popped some of the uh, some of the wind eaters. Well, <laughs> with his sharp teeth. Yeah. Did he do that because they were threatening him? Yeah. Or did he, yeah. yeah. They okay. were threatening the barons. So, right. Yeah. Like but, he's he's very smart and very loyal. Right. And so they they think he's so smart and so loyal that he must be possessed by a demon, basically. Which they're not off. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, he gets, and, uh, he presents a case that's so, uh, lengthy that the judge immediately thinks that he's trying too hard. And so sentences, says he would have let the dog off immediately, but because the Baron, uh, spent so much time, uh, and effort 
trying to prove his innocence there must be something there to it so he... right he well what it was was uh the baron uh says um he demonstrates like how do- other dogs are stupider yeah. than his dog i believe yeah but um, also that how his as dog will uh at the same time uh will come to him no matter you know if if it was a super smart spirit then it would do what would make it survive but in this case it's coming to him to right uh to help him or whatever, right. you know, whatever situations he sets up. Right. And the, and the judge says you went to so much elaborate lengths beyond just talking to prove that this dog is innocent, that I I'm inclined to think the dog must be guilty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is again, we're all getting into a satirical uh, aspect yeah, here. I, think. I guess. That's, yeah. That's arguably sort of the funniest bit of the book. Yeah. Um, and, uh, anyway, but sorry, go on. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, any, the China section is basically a parody of bureaucracy in general. Right. Uh, it's, I mean, this book isn't as racist as it could have been. No, it's, I mean, it's still ha ha ha, oh, this silly yeah. world. But of I mean, even people, the, the African country, they're, they're peaceful. They have a palace, you know, right. they're, yeah. they're not like savages. Well, and it's so far removed from reality that, you you know, it's not, there's no tr- stereotypes. It's yeah. Just, there may as well be fantasy creatures, basically. Yeah. Well, the, the China part comes the closest, I think, right. to stereotypes, but yeah, there's, even that's not too bad. I mean, no. It, he gives it, it them silly names. Yeah. He gives them silly names, and he makes them overly um, deferential. Yeah, De- deferential as deferential well. as well. Yeah, they always uh, insult themselves and compliment the other person, even right. though it's obviously not true. Right. So, which is obviously based on kind of stereotypes of Chinese people, basically. But, but it's it, 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 it is interesting that the Victorians had this. They had a weird attitude towards the Asian people, like they. They respected them on one level. Yeah. They, they they saw them adversarially, but they also tended to mm-hmm. portray them as... And this was as, an American writer as well. So. Right, yeah. Well, it's like, the, I mean, literally the yellow peril trope had to be invented as a propaganda tool mm-hmm. to make people like fear and hate the Asians. Yeah. And up till then, I mean, not that there wasn't a lot of exploitation going on, but it, it almost came from, uh, you know, we want, uh, you know... Oh, but they're really smart and they have a fascinating culture and, you know, people like Gilbert and Sullivan, you know, th- there yeah. was a, their, their stuff grew out of this explosion of fascination of Japanese culture at that yeah. time. Um, so they were, the you Mikado, know. The Mikado, you mean. Yeah, the Mikado, yeah. sorry, what did I say? The, no, you just said yeah. their stuff. Yeah, when they, the Mikado was apparently inspired by a huge, there was. Yeah, the Crystal <coughs> was, Palace exhibition. Yeah, that's right. There was a huge, there was a huge Japanese exhibition at one point and it made, it created a, a craze for Japan in, in, mm-hmm. in England at, at around that time. And, uh, it, but it's always been, yeah, there's always been a level of, you know, they, they can't portray them as, you know, dumb, like, cause they clearly are this extremely sophisticated culture. Yeah. So they have to make them evil and crafty basically yeah. so when you don't see them being evil and crafty it's kind of like you know okay that's that's <laughs> that's okay then I'll yeah that. yeah uh though i guess we're we're both white so we're not really the people to oh, sure. uh we're not letting this yeah off the hook but yeah. for a 19th century goofy children's book it's yeah. fairly harmless. so the last culture he visits in the first book are the round bodies mm-hmm. who end up all dying from the volcano going off uh or was it the volcano or the storm sorry i, I I, I actually didn't get to this bit. Oh, okay, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, they end up dying. So that's that's pretty dark ending. Okay. Um, so the second book, which is probably better written, yeah. though I like some of the uh, some of the origin stuff in the first book, mm-hmm. like the Armless Knight and all that. But the second book, he travels to Russia. <sighs> and um, 
Russia is uh, the uh, uh, entrance to an underground world called The World Within a World, mm -hmm. which was written about by a uh, fictional philosopher named Don Foom, mm -hmm. who he keeps quoting throughout this book. Right. Um, and uh, so he visits uh, various cultures that live under the earth. The first one right. being the, uh, uh, sorry, the Mickey Menkies. Uh, the transparent people, right? They're they're crystal people, basically. Yeah, and they you can see through them, and they cover they they uh, always carry a black fan to cover their hearts, so they can right. Uh, nobody can tell what they're thinking or yeah. what they're feeling. Yeah, you can if you can see the other's heart, you can see if they're if they like you or if they yeah, don't. Yeah, they're lying. Know, how they're or, feeling yeah. about things. So everyone has to keep themselves concealed with with giant black fans mm -hmm. at all times. Yeah, all the uh, most of the cultures in this book are sort of utopian in a way. Mm. They're sort of superior, most of them. Right. Um, so, um, second culture, they... Well, hang on. Uh, well, oh, the sorry. Mickey, the, th the thing I like about the Mickey so they find out that the queen um, is... The, Galaxia. Is, Galaxia, yeah, is, is getting ready to pass on and get, because they've calculated exactly how many hours she has left in her life. Oh, yeah, because they can see her heart, so they can, yeah. Right, exactly. And they're going to pass on uh, the rule to her daughter, Cristalla. Cristalina, I Cristalina, think? Cristalina, I think Cristalina. it was. And um, her, um, her handmaiden comes to Baron Trump and goes, you don't understand, I'm the real princess. They swapped us out because I have a... An impurity in my heart. It's right. not complete. Yeah, it's got uh, some color in it. Yeah, it's got a little red fleck in her yeah. heart that looks like blood. Uh, and no princess of the, you know, the, the Mickey Mackies could be uh, ever uh, elevated to queen if she had, if, you know, if she had a flaw like that. So they switched her out with a, uh, with, with a serving maiden, but now they realize that it's been a horrible injustice. So he has to correct that yeah. injustice basically. And it ends up basically just being, she shows them her heart. They shine light through it and literally projects it yeah. on the, behind her. Because and, they can't actually, they're, they're not allowed by law to see her heart, mm -hmm. but I guess the projection's okay, so. Yeah, right. And so that he figures that out, and they basically decide it's okay, and they forgive her. And they yeah, and it was, uh, it was a drop, it was red because it was a drop of blood from, like, the surface, like, passed down through the generations from the people from the surface. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I, that was kind of cute, I thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think cute is a good way to describe a lot of this, yeah. a lot of this. Uh, the second, uh... Culture uh, he uh, encounters in the underworld are the pseudopsies, uh, which means make-believe eyes, mm -hmm. or the firm, uh, formifolk, or ant people. It's two different names for the same right. uh, culture. They, uh, they exist in darkness, so they uh, lost uh, their sight and hearing, so they just go by feeling. Mm. And they have books that are just written on the pavement in you know raised letters, so it sort of predicts, you know, reading for blind people the, right. the raised letters like not braille specifically but raised letters hmm. so they actually uh uh read by just traveling and uh walking on the ground and feeling with their feet <laughs> the the books yeah. um and uh uh yeah you can tell which which books and poems they like the people like best because they're polished but the other yeah <laughs> yeah so you can tell which ones are well trodden and which ones aren't so that's kind of clever uh, little world building there. Most of the most of the world building doesn't. Really, I mean, he sort of learns languages really quickly. I yeah. guess he's a genius. And, <laughs> Always very uh, convenient. Yeah. And the second book, like they dispense with the language thing altogether. He just yeah, they all just speak English for some reason, <laughs> or possibly they're speaking Russian because he also speaks Russian. I, 
I guess. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't even bother to tell us why no, they're no. they're comprehensible, basically. No. Uh yeah. the yeah, any uh yeah, the third race he uh he encounters are the uh oh this is a hard um culty culty quirps. Culty quirps, uh who are really cold and they live in a palace of ice and they're uh terrified because he's warm and that he'll if he gets a fever or something he'll melt their own entire palace. Uh, and there's a bit about a, uh, uh, a frozen, uh, uh, monkey from the surface world, you know, like a primordial man, basically. And he tries to free him, but he ends up dying and it's sad. Oh. It's kind of dark for this kind of thing, but I guess these, this particular series is, gets pretty dark at times for a children's series. <laughs> um, and, uh, the last, uh, race, uh, he encounters in the underworld are the, um, um, uh, rattle brains or happy forgetters who believe that uh, the less you know the better mm. so they they uh, say every day today I've forgotten something and that's good <laughs> and they think of learning as evil so uh-huh. they they rush give him the bums rush basically yeah he's I only guess. allowed to stay one day because they're afraid that it'll infect them with knowledge <laughs> and their brains actually literally rattle in their heads because they've shrunk right that, again, sounds like they're getting satirical yeah. on that one, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean... And then how does it end, the, the second book? Uh, he gets out of the underworld and goes back to... Yeah, this, just goes back. Yeah, yeah okay. he, he rides on a, a ice ice uh, sheet and basically just falls through a thing mm. and ends up in the water above, so... Yeah. Yeah, it's... So Baron Trump leaves Russia and goes back home. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, this... Um, Oh yeah, uh, we should mention. Uh, usually, we talk about films or something. That uh, obviously, right. there's been no film of this, but uh, <laughs> uh, there was a uh, in 2017 a filmmaker named uh, Lee Scott or Leia Scott. I'm not sure. Um, uh, was reported to plan a crowdsourcing campaign to get a movie made of the Baron Trump stories. Uh, she's a Republican. Not sure why I felt the need to say that. Uh, she's best known for working with the Asylum, if you know that company. Uh, they make rip-off movies and things like Transmorphers, which she worked on, uh, Piranha Sharks, Pirates of Treasure Island. Right. Uh, yeah, I I don't have high hopes for this even being made, much less being good. It's not. I don't feel like she even read the books. I don't but know. It's not, but I mean, they did do a, <coughs> a Victorian Sherlock Holmes where he fights dinosaurs or yeah. something, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. <laughs> um, so this author also did, uh, Ingersoll Lockwood, uh, wrote a short novella um, in, uh, I believe, a, a little bit after the Baron Trump books uh, that I read um, called 1900 or The Last President. It's completely unrelated to the to these stories. It's uh, sort of uh, political satire in which uh, William Jennings Bryan uh, wins the American presidency in the 1896 election, which was just a little bit off, uh, a few years in the future to this. Uh, and uh, he immediately institutes socialist policies, gets rid of the gold standard, and the republic falls. And it ends with uh, um, the uh, Capitol building being blown up by dynamite. It's uh, basically, it's even more purple prose than these books, actually. It's it's really, there's no characters and to speak of. And does Lockwood see that as a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. <laughs> yeah, he's, it's obviously an anti-socialist tract. Okay. And uh, um, he seems to think the gold standard was much more important than it, I don't know. Well, you know, the gold standard is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, because the... they keep, there's this running thing about silver, uh, the... Uh, 
they uh, they want to make silver as high as gold. So, but mm-hmm. then that inevitably falls. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 not good. I don't recommend that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the the idea that you know. Well, to this day, libertarians are pretty big on the gold standard. Yeah, I so, guess. Uh, I guess that's uh, yeah. that's been a thing for a while. Um, and uh, it's also partially a uh, revenge fantasy for Southerners. I guess I don't know. Uh. He did work with Lincoln, so. Uh. I, the Southerners were the, the Lockwood Dem- did. Lockwood worked for Lin- like I said he was uh, he was a consul to another country under Lincoln. Right, appointed by Lincoln. So why would he want to revenge Southerners? I don't know. Well, the Southerners are the bad guys, so I guess okay. in the stories. All right, so they're fair. the socialists. Apparently, I, I, I don't know. Okay, I don't know how that I don't know how the politics worked in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, it's, um, it's a little confused. <laughs> fair enough, but it, yes, it must have been. Yeah, they must have been. It's short, but it's not worth reading. I found an audiobook read by a a guy with a really gravelly voice. He sounded like Yoda with a gravelly voice. (laughs) It was was interesting. Blow up the Capitol building, we must. Sort of. A little bit gravelier. (laughs) I wasn't sure if he was putting on a voice or if that was just the way he talked, but yeah. Trying to sound like Lincoln? I don't know. (laughs) No. God. Um, Um, I would like to mention, by the way, that... um, uh, I have uh, a comic book, Strange Romance, uh, a special edition of Strange Romance, which is the uh, anthology comic that I edit, uh, should be available as you listen to this on Comixology. Uh, check that out. It's a really good... Uh, I drew a story anthology. in it. Phil drew a story in it. And Phil, you had something you wanted to plug as well, right? Yeah, you're, well, he's got... He's, I have he a does, bunch of things. He but. does the Apex Society and Undeath, which are both comics. and uh, It's actually one comic. Undeath's just a story in the Apex Society. Right. But that's, yeah. the, that's the spinoff. Yes, exactly. Well, that's it for us today. I don't know about you, Adam, but I must return to Castle Trump to the Elder Baron and the Baroness, my mother. I'd like to thank our producer, Alex Ross of the Wind Eaters, and Jack Furick of the Melodious Sneezers, who wrote our theme music. And here, my friends, mit Herzlichen Gruß. Bulger, I mean, Adam and I must take our leave of you. <laughs> <laughs>